I'm Jack Semlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2019 Strip-Till Farmer Podcast Series. In today's program, we share a global perspective on strip-till adoption and the outlook and obstacles for increased growth. If you're tuning in for the first time, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this series, currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Or if you have another app you prefer for listening to podcasts, let us know, and we'll make every effort to get it listed here as well. And a reminder that by subscribing, you will be able to get an alert when upcoming episodes in this series are released. Thanks again to TopCon Agriculture for its support of this podcast series. Agronomy matters, and TopCon Agriculture application solutions make it work. From planning to precision machine control, NORAX boom height control, monitoring and mapping, to data management, you have the total set of solutions to maximize your agronomic plan. Find out how to make the most of your 4R nutrient stewardship with precision technology that is unmatched in ease of use. Visit them at topconpositioning.com slash growing solutions. Well, while strip-till is an established practice in some parts of North America, individual objectives can vary by farm. Some seek improved fertilizer placement, while others have soil health improvement goals or yield consistency. But for Nathan Ensby and Trent Stainley, both from New South Wales, Australia, a driving motivation for strip-till in their region is moisture retention and seedbed preparation. In today's Strip-Till Farmer podcast, brought to you by Topcon Agriculture, we share excerpts from my conversation with Nate and Trent at the 2019 National Strip-Tillage Conference on the scope of strip-till in Australia, along with some of the adoption hurdles and greatest opportunities for expansion. Okay, well, uh, my name's Nathan Ensby. Um, you know, I, I uh, come from the east coast of Australia, in northern New South Wales, from Grafton. I work for the New South Wales DPI on a soybean plant breeding program. Plus, I've also got a little bit of land myself for I grow some soybeans and some sugarcane. It's been very interesting to come over here and uh, yeah, talk to the soybean growers in, in America. My name's Trent Stainley. I'm from the same town in Australia as Nathan, Grafton. I work for a local ag retailer. And we provide a bit of advice to growers in our area. Soybeans, corn, sugarcane, major crops. There's a whole pile of other things that go on there, small crop-wise too. It's been a good tour, learn a lot. Production systems might vary, but the way people get the most out of the system can be applied to our system, so it's been good to come along. Maybe I could get perspective. It's, it's nice to have some diversity here, you know, kind of on the farm side and the retailer side. I think uh, that's, that's a nice dynamic here, but maybe uh, from each of your perspectives, you know, just give me a run-through of kind of uh, what, what's a, a typical, you know, strip-till, no-till system, you know, look like in your area? What, what's that going to entail? What are some of the pieces that are going to fit into that puzzle? So in, um, there's a couple of different farming systems, I suppose. There's the sugarcane soybean farming systems. Our sugarcane farmers are uh, setting up on controlled traffic over there. So that's basically matching our harvesters and our tractors. So that's on a 1.8, 1.9 metre row spacing. So they're going in and out of the sugarcane cycle with their soybeans, basically using no tillage or strip tillage. Yeah, it's sort of similar to some of the strip tillage machinery that, that's on display here, but we're we're trying to vertical till slightly wider bed top, about three foot wide on the bed top. We're typically coming out of our cane cycles, doing a little bit of tillage, and then and then planting our soybeans using minimum 
tillage or strip tillage techniques, yeah. And then going from our soybeans into our sugarcane systems, either zero till or, or strip till. So similar, similar concepts to some of the strip tillers that we're using here, but just a little bit wider, I suppose, yeah. And then there's the other system when we sort of move a little bit west from the coast from where we are, where sugarcane is too cold for sugarcane. Guys are growing summer crops and winter crops, so we can get away with two crops per year. Guys are growing soybeans or corn in the summer and then going through and planting winter cereals in the winter or winter pulses, depending on, on their system. But that, that system sort of allows guys to use these sort of strip tour units and yeah, they are using these, these units to basically get through their stubble and, and build that planting profile for their either winter or summer crops. That's a bit probably the only other system. There's an even more lower input system for graziers, like cattle ranchers, so to speak, where soybeans are a bit of a cash crop over summer and then they'll plant a winter forage in there, but it's rare for strip till, they're more zero till, no till for those guys. We also use as a paddock renovation tool, soybeans. They might dabble with a few other crops as a cash crop, but that's pretty mm. much it. That's a pretty popular farming system away from the coast. Yep. So we also battle some pretty heavy clays. So we've got some guys that, that are using reduced tillage controlled traffic systems there to sort of reduce the amount of cultivation or passes on their land because we're from a really high rainfall zone. We can get up over three foot of rain a year. Um, More, four. Up the to average four will be four. Of rain. They can vary by 50% yeah. up or down on that. So guys are using controlled traffic and strip till farming systems to basically reduce the number of passes they have to get on their land and to sort of get away from that cold, heavy cultivation and just use that vertical tillage in the growing zone. It really helps them their traffic ability and their seed emergence. So what kind of uh, traction or growth have you guys seen with, with strip till in your area? Is it something that you see as a, a growing practice? Is there interest? Is there a need for growers in Australia to, to, to kind of go this route? Yeah. Like it's, it's in the earlier days of adoption, but I think the growth will be stronger. Mostly people will be attracted to the, the cost savings. This means you can get over it a little bit quicker at that critical moisture. Like a lot of times we're probably unlike you guys this year, especially we're actually trying to conserve the moisture get on till at the right time, get your planting operation done at the right time, and strip till just lets you get on with doing those jobs rather than tilling the whole paddock. Yeah. And that's where I think as people get squeezed a little bit on costs and everyone's trying to do more acres with less full-time equivalents or less labour input, I think that'll be the, the path that draws people into it. There's other advantages too, which they'll get later on, but I think the, the money will get people in first. Yeah, so we've been on a bit of a journey. 10 to 15 years ago, GPS control traffic that's, that's has really really come into the, the fore that's become affordable. So guys, a lot of the farmers over there have got GPS. So they've combined that with the control traffic. And there have, have been guys looking at zero tillage. They've had a few issues with zero tillage with just basically the, the ground setting hard and because we get that high rainfall, but it does actually, the rainfall compacts the ground. So yeah, that's where strip tillage has you know just started to come in to complement that whole control traffic system and i can see application of fertilizers through strip tillage maybe being the next step and also subsoil application of ameliorants like uh, lime and gypsum and, and even compost guys are really looking down that track so yeah i think that will probably be the next step with our strip tillage units so, how long have you been strip-tilling Probably since about 2012, seven or eight years. You know, guys that have sort of set up with the control traffic, 
over in Australia have really just started to see the benefits probably five years on have sort of have seen their soil biota increase and that compaction level reduce in the growing zone yeah so I think the guys are, are now just starting to see the benefits of, of that control traffic reduced tillage system which is similar to what the guys have been saying in the opening talks today it's that's taken them up to five or six years to actually get the see some of the results through uh, their soil health and their yield yeah what are you seeing, Trent, as far as from the retail side, or, or do you see experience kind of start developing strip till, and, and how are you advising against you know customers, farmers that you have that are, are kind of in that system? Oh, I think yeah, it's the the next level we're getting to is like Nathan said. First came RTK and the guidance, the repeatability that we needed. Now the equipment's filtering through to Australia, both locally and imported. I think people are just starting. To, we're just starting to get our heads around. Particularly, it was interesting to be in a talk before about fertilizer placement in strip till, those kind of things. I think it'll sort of take us to the next level. Like, we'll move on from just broadcasting things on paddocks, and it was a bit hit and miss. I think now we'll be a lot more strategic about what we can place where and when. Whereas before, yeah, it was just put on the spreader and throw it out there and hope for the best. So, we'll be also be <laughs> protected from loss, a bit like you're talking about here. And uh, like everywhere, we're the same as you, everyone's under a little bit of pressure to be a little more um, environmentally conscious and have a better stewardship. So, yeah, I think it'll take us down that path. It'll sort of go hand in glove with, you know, variable rate technologies and things like that too as they come online. So, yeah, I think that's where it'll take us. We'll get back to the discussion shortly, but I wanted to once again thank our sponsor, Topcon Agriculture, for making this podcast possible. And welcome in Dr. Ray Acevedo, former assistant professor of precision agriculture at Kansas State University and agronomic consultant for Topcon Agriculture. In this week's technology tips from Dr. Ray, he discusses and defines the functionality and in-season application of active optical sensors and thermal technology. Then we have active optical sensors. Now what is that? These are sensors that have their own internal light source to illuminate the crop, and they're mounted just like sprayers, tractors, ATVs. They provide some of the best data you could possibly get on saying what's going on with the nitrogen status of my corn. What's the yield potential of my corn? How much denitrification have I got? How should I apply a variable rate for this field? And then of course, thermal technology. So thermal cameras are all about sensing the heat signatures of the plant. Very critical for helping us determine variable rate irrigation. Not that anybody on this part of the country really needs that right now. But believe it or not, on my part of Kansas, Colorado, it's a pretty big deal, helps us out quite a bit. Well, thank you, Ray, for your insight and also to Topcon Agriculture for supporting this podcast series. Let's get back to the program now and hear more from Nathan Ensby and Trent Stanley on how they are quantifying strip-till ROI in their area. You know, you talked a little bit about, obviously, you know, benefits. We've heard, like you said, it takes a few years to realize those. Mm. You're obviously at a point where you're probably starting to see some of those more consistent gains or just, you know, to the point where, you know, the, some of the other benefits are kicking in. Mm. Have you been able to kind of quantify or, or identify some of the things that you think stand out in terms of the benefits of your system? Obviously, with the control traffic system, well, this year or at the moment, we're in a 
record drought in Australia. So one of the things that our farmers have seen is that have been on the system for a little while is a increased moisture retention in that um, in that growing zone. So as we heard before, cultivation, it might seem to fluff the soil up, but actually those conventional systems do shed a lot more water than what a controlled traffic uh, minimum till system does. So in drought years, you know, I think guys have seen a bit more moisture retention in that um, in that growing zone. Yeah, but um, it, as I said, it's been a really, really big drought over there and, and we've had guys that haven't planted a soybean all summer over there just because of the drought. So that's sort of coincided with some record prices over there as well. So that's that's been a bit of a downer. But look, I think that system that we're looking at is and will proof us against you know environmental conditions. So we're on a raised bed system. So high rainfall areas, that water sheds, what it doesn't take in, it'll shed off and drain. We don't have tiling over there. So we're sort of laser leveling our land using raised beds to shed that water in those high rainfall zones. It's uh, guys are seeing, I think guys are now seeing some yield benefits. They're getting on their ground quicker. Traffic ability is a lot better. So it doesn't take as long for them to get on the ground after a rain event. Yeah, so, you know, guys that are doing it, doing it well, and they're not, and they're not going back to what they used to do. They, they see the benefits in it and are continually trying to improve their systems to, to basically proof them against environmental conditions. So, last question on this subject, but, you know, obviously you guys have been able to interact, you know, with North America and, and particularly for strip-till with some of the titles that we produce. We see a, a, a pretty large international interest, you know, we'll have a lot of people follow us, you know, from different parts of the globe, uh, whether it's Australia or, you know, Europe, you know, different areas. So. There seems to be definitely an international appeal on a certain level for strip till. So, was curious, you know, when you're thinking about uh, what you guys are doing compared to other areas, whether it's North America, you know, what what are some of the differences you're encountering? And, and we talked about some of the similarities, but are there areas where you see a, a greater need to advance the practice in your area compared to what we're doing? Are there areas you feel you're, you know, further ahead with what we're doing? Uh, I suppose some of the biggest differences we've seen, some of your yields are, are fairly high in uh, around Illinois. Yeah, so, you know, that's probably more to do with soil type and, and environment more than anything, I think. But there are some management issues and practices there like um, seed treating. We don't do a lot of seed treatments in Australia for fungicide and insecticide. So that's something that we've learnt and we'll take back and investigate. And coinciding your seed treating with um, an early plant. Yeah, so the guys here are trying to get their uh, reproductive cycle going to coincide with the longest longest day of the uh, year. You know, we can do that. We'll have to plan a little bit earlier. Yeah, so that's something we're going to take back for sure. Yeah, just the scale. We've got pretty small farms compared to you guys here. There's, there's just a lot of scale here. And, and, you know, due to that fact, the guys are trying to produce soybeans efficiently by using strip tillage and that sort of equipment, minimising the passes they have over their country. So, you know, even though we're a bit smaller scale, we can still learn from the efficiencies that the guys in America have, that's for sure. We don't have any gen genetically modified crops in Australia, so we're a bit blown away by the, uh, the technology and the seed that you guys have. But yeah, that's something that, um, you know, we won't be going, we don't, we don't produce yeah. genetically modified food crops in Australia. That's a pretty big difference that we have over there. Anything to add, Trent? Oh, no, that's probably, that's what I was thinking. It's, it's probably the level of management that you guys apply. Like Australia's generally a broader scale, lower input, lower yield kind of thing. So whereas here, 
probably driven by land prices and various other things and maybe the genetic potential of the, the seed you're putting in and the quality of the land. Like everything's managed much more, uh, what's the right word? I guess intensively. managed, yeah, intensively. That's the one I'm trying yeah. to think of. Thanks, mate. <laughs> that's all right. Uh, so that's sort of, we've just, which, you know, over time we'll sort of get that way a little bit too. So you can take that kind of skill set or some of that knowledge back with us. Yeah, mm. that'd be good. Yeah. So. so the leaf sampling, yeah. For nutrients is, is a practice that the guys really get into here that we probably don't do don't as much in Australia. Job, so, right. yeah, I think I think we could probably try and manage our um, our nutrients throughout our crop cycle a little better. So that's uh, that's something that we'll look at doing over there. Definitely, yeah. There's a lot of similarities there around timing of planting and you know population plant populations and how that affects the architecture of the soybean mm. plant and how it relates to yield. So a lot of the stuff we're doing in Australia is very similar to, to to you guys here in that in that form. So yeah, it sort of gives you a bit of confidence that you're on the right track when you're when you're looking at different issues in soybean growing, yeah. Absolutely. Well and, and obviously that that's a good segue now it, that brought you guys to the strip till conference this year. So obviously looking for more of that knowledge, trying to build on it, you know, trying to exchange ideas and, and you know, take home some of those things. Maybe just talk a little bit about kind of what what brought you guys here. You know, what what are some of the early experiences you've had at the event, and, and you know, maybe are there some highlights or some take home elements that uh, you found particularly valuable? Actually, there was a session in there before about oh, placing fertilizer in strip tilling and just fertilizer management or nutrition management in general. Got a lot out of that. Like I said, we're at the infancy of it, so we probably didn't have that much to contribute, but just to be in the room while the conversations are going on, it was good actually. So we got to ask a few questions and got some questions answered, so it was good. Mm. Yeah, yeah one of the keynote speakers this morning was talking about sending uh, sending smoke up the tile or smoking the tile. I've never heard of that before. Uh, that was, that's different. Obviously the tiles <laughs> are there to take water out of the paddock. But um, yeah, the guys are using that to demonstrate or pump smoke back up there to demonstrate soil the pore health. space yeah. and the soil health. So yeah, it was pretty uh, pretty good to see the smoke coming up through the soil to sort of illustrate soil health. Yeah, I, I've never heard of that before. I don't. Well, we don't have tiles over in Australia, so nah, I don't know if we can replicate we can't it. Do it. But um, yeah, it was an interesting, very interesting talk about about how those guys are managing their soil health and and how they uh, use that as an extension tool to show farmers yeah, the poor space in their soil. Yeah, like a lot of this strip tool machinery, I have been, because I've been um, a subscriber to your to your uh, magazine over the last few years, and you know, it's, you're always getting updates on how the strip tool units are coming along and how they've evolved over the last 10 years. And it's, it's just amazing how much technology, technology can get jammed into such a small little row unit. Yeah, one of the reasons we came here just to see how that technology has advanced over the last few years. And yeah, it's, it's been well worthwhile. Well, thank you to Nathan and Trent for their international perspective on the adoption and advancement of strip till in Australia. And again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor, Topcon Agriculture, for helping make this Strip Till Farmer podcast series possible. I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program, so feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessetermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2441. You can also keep up on the latest Strip Till practices impacting your farm today by registering online at striptillfarmer.com for our free Strip Till Strategies daily e-newsletter. 
And be sure to follow us on Twitter at Striptill, F-A-R-M-R, and on our Striptill Farmer Facebook page. Well, I hope that you'll join us again for the next episode in our 2019 podcast series. And a reminder that you can check out striptillfarmer.com slash NSTC for recent news and updates from our annual National Strip Tillage Conference. For Nathan Ensby, Trent Stanley, Topcon Agriculture, and our entire staff here with Strip Till Farmer, I'm Jack Semlicka. Thanks for listening. <laughs>